0: today on the Tearsheet Podcast.
1: And now we're moving into this third era where apparel providers and and employers themselves are recognizing this is where consumers' financial lives begin. And if we want to give consumers not just sort of the full picture of their financial lives, but also position them in the best way to make the best decisions with all of that information, then it's really the best place to sort of get people going with their finances.
0: Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. The first era of next-generation financial companies focused on the bank account as a store of information and value for consumers' and businesses' financial lives. That's changing, though, as fintechs and data aggregators go deeper into payroll data and payments. The topic is becoming more urgent since the PPP rollout earlier this year. Ben White from Plaid's policy team has recently authored a report on the value of payroll data and he joins me on the podcast to discuss what payroll data access is, why it matters, and the opportunity it presents for future fintech innovation. A link to the White Papers included in our article on our website. Ben White
1: is my guest today on the
0: Tearsheet Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Ben White. I am on the policy team at Plaid. Specifically, my title and role is policy R&D. So I have the Very fortunate position to be sort of looking out at the horizon and seeing, you know, not just what policy changes might affect our business directly, but also how policy changes can open more opportunities for open finance and data connectivity to provide better products and services to consumers. Uh, And that is, of course, where this payroll work fits in as we see, you know, policy and regulatory developments around consumers control of data and sort of broader interest across ecosystems and in incorporating that into uh, a suite of products and services. It, it, it's an exciting place to be to sort of think through as we as a company explore how we can impact those spaces, you know what that looks like uh, from a policy side, you know, again, both uh, in the ways that we are affected by policy and, and the ways that policy changes in other parts of, of the world can open up more space for consumers to benefit from control of their data.
0: Very interesting. Um, before we hop into the, the payroll discussion, I'm curious, like, how, did, how did you get into this type of field?
1: Sure, well, you know, the payroll piece in particular is really fascinating to me because it's a space that I've been sort of working in for a while without you know, necessarily working at a payroll company. So uh, a couple of years back, I actually started a, a FinTech company myself with, with a friend of mine that was focused on delivering financial wellness, products and services in the workplace. Uh, And I sort of had this realization that, you know, there's a lot of paycheck to paycheck workers out there, a lot of sort of low to moderate income consumers uh, who are working at companies that, you know, want to keep them around. You know, our first target market for our FinTech was focused on small manufacturing companies where employees are making, you know, $13, $15, $17 $13, $15, $17 an hour, and are providing really valuable services uh, to that company, but you know, maybe are still struggling themselves financially. And it's at companies like that where turnover is a real challenge. So the problem that we wanted to solve for them was, how can we leverage technology specifically, you know the smartphone, this is 2015, 2016, around the time that we were launching this product um, to deliver products and services directly to employees in the workplace. And, uh, you know, what we found was that, you know, there was a real sort of open space there to leverage technology to to better deliver those products and services that meet people where they are. I think that continues to be Mm -hmm. a real focus of of FinTech in particular. So I worked on that uh, FinTech company for a couple of years and then made my way to Washington, recognizing that there were policy changes afoot that were potentially solving these problems at scale. So specifically, you know, how can we think beyond sort of the traditional uh, employee benefits uh, around things like, you know, payroll and providing better financial products, things like emergency savings, uh, better benefits uh, that can, again, meet consumers where they are. Uh, But, you know, even as they think about policy changes, like how can we improve upon the 401k, you still need, you know, those products and services uh, to reach those consumers and, and the workplace is really where their financial life starts. So it's it's really exciting now to be at Plaid at a place where we recognize that for many of those products to function, you know, data connectivity is really fundamental. You know, if you want to provide someone with a savings account at the workplace, you need to be able to connect via payroll to a bank account. So it's really exciting now to be in a position to see how our company can fulfill uh, that objective of, of, of delivering those services.
0: It's really interesting. It's almost like we're shifting our attention away from the bank account sort of as the main repository of financial information about a customer um, into the workplace, which actually is, it has broader implications, I think.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think, one of our more exciting sort of revelations in this white paper is that the field of payroll is sort of entering into a, a new era where you know, we, we broke it down into into three eras. The first is really focused on, you know, how can you pay taxes on behalf of your employee, uh, things like social security and, 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 and Medicaid and, and uh, federal and state income taxes, of course. The second generation with, you know, the advent of, of the pension and the 401k and, and with healthcare being something that was provided directly via the employer, uh, you know, that was sort of the, the ways that they sought about delivering services in the workplace. And now we're moving into this third era where apparel providers and, and employers themselves are recognizing this is where consumers' financial lives begin. And if we want to give consumers not just sort of the full picture of their financial lives but also position them in the best way to make the best decisions with all of that information, then it, it, it's really the best place to sort of get people going with their finances. Uh, and, and you know, back to my experiences with, with the startup, we sort of thought about our target customer is someone who, you know, maybe they went to school, maybe they didn't go to school, maybe they went to, you know, a technical training school, and they're working for an auto parts company. um, And they want to work there for for their entire lives. But you know, they never had any sort of financial education. uh, And they don't really know where to begin. And the workplace is maybe the first time that they're earning a paycheck, and the first time that they're thinking about how can they improve and and make the most of their finances. Uh, and, And so to start there, uh, and, and to provide them with those services that meet them where they are was a really, really powerful way to, to give people control over their finances.
0: And and how accessible um, historically, Ben, ha- have payroll companies been in terms of sharing that data?
1: Yeah, so it, it's interesting to think about these developments as sort of a a bit of a time lag behind where the banking sector itself has moved. So an interesting data point that I don't think Made it into the paper, but that I found really interesting is that in 2018, 80% of payroll providers were offering something like an online portal, uh, which of course is sort of a, a precursor to data connectivity. You know, the, the legacy methods of, of, of uh, providing consumers access to their data is giving them the ability to download a PDF statement from an online portal. Uh, but the reason that 80% number is so fascinating is because 80% of banks offered online banking in 2006. So 12 years later, the payroll industry had reached the same level of of online offerings that the banking industry had reached. Mm. Uh, So, so, you know, that's pretty good penetration still, I think, in in terms of providing 80%. It's not like there's necessarily a a dramatic lag, Uh, but now that that infrastructure has been built, there is the opportunity for companies like Plaid to step in and say, okay, you know, you're providing consumers this uh, access to their data on, on a one-off basis how can we layer on top of that you know using the the models that we've built in the banking sector uh, to give them the sort of data connectivity that can allow them access to the full suite of, of fintech products and services
0: interesting so so can we talk about maybe some of those uh, use cases I guess that as you guys are starting to think about um, or have witnessed and putting together this, this, this white paper that um, I guess can change, have an impactful change on, on consumers' lives?
1: Absolutely. So the way that we broke it down in the white paper was really a, a view to the impact that, that FinTech can have on consumer lives in general and the way that FinTech companies go about building their products. And there's really two ways that they do this. The first is by digitizing manual processes. So you know, innovation in the sense of taking things that were once manual, making them simpler and more seamless by digitizing them and, and providing that, that connectivity with data. Uh, in, in the payroll space, what this looks like is, you know, if you are applying for a mortgage and you need to download your pay stub in order to share it with your mortgage lender, you know, now there could conceivably be products and services that leverage data connectivity like what Plaid provides that allow you to do that in one click. And, and I think about uh, a colleague of mine who purchased a house earlier this year, of course, during COVID when everything was more and more highly scrutinized. And, yeah. and, you know, of course, for lenders, it was hard to tell, you know, if you're employed this week, you might not necessarily be employed next week with what's going on in the economy. And so, you know, one of my colleagues had applied for a mortgage, and they were uh, hitting her up once a week to to provide her her employment verification. So every single week, she had to log into the payroll provider that we use, download that pay stub, proof of uh, of, of employment, and and upload it to the lender. Uh, that's something that is a pretty tremendous pain point in in a consumer's life. You know, to have to do a task repeatedly again and again. You know, I think. In some instances, friction can be good in 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 a, a way like that, not so much. Uh, so that's just one example of you know if there are recurring needs to provide that sort of sort of verification, that's where sort of digitizing the manual processes can come in. The second element, which is, I think is even more exciting, is you know once you've opened up that space for connectivity to exist, you can really lean into customization. So again, looking at the credit space where I think this is really compelling. You know the advent of what's what's been called alternative data, but I think is becoming so mainstream that alternative is maybe not the best way to describe it. But things like cash flow underwriting for lending, uh, you know those types of models that are still being built and continue to to develop and to get better, uh, you know the types of data that you can pull in from a, a consumer's payroll, things around how much are they contributing to their retirement accounts how much are they putting away in their, their FSA or their HSA? These are all really, really valuable data points uh, for lenders who want to do you know anything from a personal loan to an auto loan, again, all the way up to a mortgage loan. Um, so you know, just to sort of reiterate, there's, there's really that breakdown as we see it along those two lines. The first is how can you remove some of that really unnecessary friction and pain point into consumers' lives of having to log into a website, download a, a statement, upload it via PDF, or even send it out via email, um, and the second is, you know, once you've established that data connectivity, where are there innovations that we might not even see yet that are that are incentivized by consumers having this control?
0: That's interesting. And and payroll companies, um, you said they're headed on they were headed on this sort of journey anyway. Um, what is their incentive to to share that data?
1: Yeah, well, this is I think a really cool and and sort of important distinction. And what makes the timing of this really compelling for payroll companies is that, you know, Plaid and and many of of companies like Plaid have been operating in the banking space for a while. So we've just continued to get better and better about, uh, you know, collaborating with, you know, what you might call the data holders. Mm -hmm. You know, Plaid just announced last week that our intention is by the end of next year to have three quarters of our traffic onto APIs. So The industry and the ecosystem has just gotten better and better at building this connectivity. But what sets payroll apart from sort of mainstream financial institutions is that they're not themselves already offering these products and services. There's not really the competitive tension there for them. In fact, it's it's really a pure value add. I mean, if if, if you think about payroll as primarily a business to business model, they're really competing on features and on things like customer service and, and how well. They can meet the needs not just of the company that they're providing services to, but increasingly of that company's employees as well. And we've even seen, uh, you know, some of the some of the larger and more innovative payroll companies stand up some of these services in-house. So Plaid has worked with uh, with Gusto to stand up some of their services that are now offering things like a mobile wallet to mm. their uh, the employees of Gusto's customers and. You know, companies like ADP are offering a third-party marketplace where, you know, again, it's not just the B2B model, but increasingly a B2B2C where the end user, the, employer, the employee at uh, any company that's using these payroll providers can have access to a much broader suite of services than might otherwise have, have initially been offered. So payroll companies, I think, really stand to benefit uh, and, and to differentiate themselves and and, again, might not necessarily feel the same sort of competitive tension where third parties you know, can come in and, and sort of eat away at some of their core products because these are really new spaces for them to be operating in uh, and really great opportunities for them to provide a broader suite of services uh, to their customers.
0: Got it. And and Ben, it sounds like what you're saying is uh, once this payroll data is, is opened and um, so the infrastructure laid, that there might be another like sort of Wave of fintech companies that are sitting on top of that that are doing things that they couldn't have done before.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly the point. And, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, what I find so exciting about my work is being able to look out at the policy horizon at changes that one might not think would directly implicate the fintech ecosystem, but where if we were to establish this sort of data connectivity, there could be another, you know, sort of Cambrian explosion of products and services. And, And one place that I'm particularly excited about, um, and I think especially as we see, you know, some some potential real policy changes with an administrative change, uh, in in the, in the government, you know, we think about the ways that work is changing. You know, we've heard about the future of work for years and years, and you know, not making any judgments on where where anyone falls on issues like, you know, should we have a two-tiered employment system where. Some workers are full-time and, and get all the benefits of being a W-2 employee and, and others are you know, contract workers who might be you know, working for, for any of these gig companies and as a result, don't have the same level of access. And, and one space that I've been particularly interested in that I think payroll data connectivity kind of can play a massive role in is things like portable benefits. You know, If we want to have sort of a third classification of workers that is not full-time and, and not part-time contractor, but we still want to be able to provide them with all the benefits that come with working in a modern economy around retirement and healthcare um, and even things like you know healthcare savings and flexible spending. You know, data connectivity can go a, a tremendously long way to opening up spaces for that sort of innovation. And I think we're going to see you know, uh, some of these changes, whether it's just in California or across the country, uh, where there will be new consumer demand among this this workforce for access to this sort of benefits. And payroll companies, whether they're partnered with those firms or not, um, can, can really make an impact on delivering those services to those workers.
0: And I have to imagine, Ben, that um, it's not just standalone payroll data, but the, the, the real power of, of what you're talking about is the marriage of payroll data with banking and transactional data. Um, For any type of fintech company, for any app that's trying to to build, you really need to be able to see the entire picture. Is that right?
1: So, at Plaid, what we're so excited about in terms of adding payroll to our broader suite of services is increasingly seeing existing customers and new customers incorporating this payroll data into their existing use cases uh, to enhance the products that they're already providing that are so valuable to their customers.
0: Ben White, thank you for joining us on the Tearsheet podcast today.
1: Thanks, Zach. It's been great.